You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. That uh, bumper music makes me feel like I have my own theme music when I walked into the room. And wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be cool if we had our own theme music? We just walk in a room, and even if there's not speakers, it just miraculously appears, and all of a sudden, theme music comes on. Something that kind of says, I have arrived. This is probably what mine would be if I walked into a room. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Ballard. Right? And everybody's just like, woo, Todd's here in the house, yeah. High-fiving and stuff, yeah. Okay, so... I got to thinking, well, that would be my theme music. I wonder if Monty had a theme song. This is probably what it would be. Because he's old, you get it? It's the Andy Griffith Show. I'll probably get fired this week. Some of you have prayed for that, so it works out well. Um, (laughs) It would be cool to have a theme song that you walk into, unless you couldn't control what the song was. What if the song was a true reflection of our lives? Well, that would probably be a stark difference, contrast from what we would want to choose. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we can easily see our insecurities, our brokenness, and our failures. It's not really that hard. We just choose to put a mask on for the unblemished version of ourself. This is what we choose to be. Everything's perfect, right? Everything is good. But here's the deal. God did not die for the unblemished version of you. He died because of your blemishes, because of your baggage and your junk and your pain. So very deep within our souls, there's this longing to break free from the chains that have enslaved us for so long. And with everything inside of us, it doesn't seem that we can do so. The weight is too heavy and the chains are too strong. And as time goes on, we allow the walls to go up and they get higher and thicker as days go by so that no one will ever know what our struggle is. One of the greatest lies that Satan has ever told you is that you're not good enough for God's love. He unleashes on us the thoughts that we are shameful in the eyes of God, shameful in the eyes of the church. And so the greatest thing that we could ever do is stay quiet and never let anyone know about what we're dealing with and live in fear and shame and guilt and live in addiction. I was talking to Nathan this week about this message, and he said, you're as sick as your secrets. And that's so true. And it seems it would be easy enough to just say, no more, Satan, I've had enough. But that's not really the case, is it? You see, you and I are not strong enough to fight Satan on our own. We're no match for him. He's stronger, he's more aware, and he's smarter than we are. And that's the reason why billions of people go year in and year out enslaved by some sort of addiction because there's no 12-step program that can break the chains that Satan puts on our life. It can seem bleak and it can seem scary and it can feel helpless at times and before you know it, it can cycle out of control, leaving us with a web of lies of Satan, making us feel that there's no way out. But listen to me, church, there is always a way out. His name is Jesus. As long as you have a breath in your body, God is still on the throne. We can call upon that name, and he is the mighty warrior. He wants to fight our battle. We have a way out. He paid for a way out. So why do we stay living a life enslaved to addiction? 
Now, please know addiction automatically carries the connotation that it's drugs and alcohol. But there's so much more that people struggle with that is actually an addiction in their life. If there's something in your life that you know you're doing, you can't seem to stop, you know it's wrong, that's an addiction. There are millions, millions and millions of people inside the church that are addicted to gossip. Paul said these, that's one of the things that wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. And there are millions who are addicted to it. They can't stop. There are billions of people that are addicted to pornography, men and women. And then obviously we live in central Kentucky. We hear about drugs and overdose on a daily basis. Lives that are lost because of the greatest lie ever told. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Never tell anyone your secrets. Nobody loves you. God will never love you like this. And shame becomes our identity. And we lost ourselves somewhere as time has passed. And now we're left with this broken vessel desperately needing hope. But it seems that hope has gone the same place that our aspirations and dreams far, far away. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to jack up my life today. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be an addict. I've yet to meet one person in my 43 years on this earth that said, I'm happy about the decisions I made last night that ruined my life. So why do we stay there? Why do we make those decisions that we know we're going to regret? There's probably a more eloquent answer, but here it is. We're flawed. We're broken. We are sinful by nature. And so we have two choices every single day. Will we choose to listen to the good or the bad? The world is full of bad, and if we stay in our certain worlds, certain circumstances, a spiral downfall will most certainly happen. But if we make the decision to get into the word of God, to seek his face, to start living the life that he's called us to live, we will start to feel alive again. And I've noticed in my years of ministry that the quickest way to fall back into addiction is to stop coming to church. There's something so amazing about how God set up the church. It's unique. It's a bunch of broken and jacked up people coming together, making one voice, one instrument as a symphony for God the creator. And it's here where we find peace. It's here where we find hope and freedom. So why do we turn away? It's shame. Why do we oftentimes find that peace in the midst of our chaos only slowly drifts right back down the same road that led to destructive behaviors, and before you know it, we're worse off than we ever were. And then here's the voice that we hear. Why try? Why even keep living? Maybe you're here this morning because you need to hear these words, that God in all his glory and all his majesty did not come down here and die on this earth, that you would stay enslaved. He came down so that you might find freedom. When Jesus said his last few words, he said, it is finished. The curse of sin and death was cut off and carterized. But here's where things go wrong. We start thinking that we can do this on our own. We can come to church. We can wear the mask that looks good, the theme music that sounds like everything's great. Yet deep within, we are dying inside. Maybe you're hearing this message because of a divine appointment by God Almighty telling you, you cannot do this alone. Stop trying to do this alone. You guys know what the definition of crazy is. Doing the same thing every day and expecting different results. The only true way to break addiction in our lives, in our lives is through the Holy Spirit in the powerful name of Jesus. I've told you all many times, we weren't designed to carry the weight of this world on our shoulders. 
We're not strong enough. And we weren't designed to go alone through this world. We were designed to need people. I'm not going to go through a bunch of steps to tell you how to be better. I'm not sure I have those. I have one step, and it all hinges on this. And it's not even a spiritual step. Do you want to change? Do you want to find freedom? Because here's how God works. Just because we give our hearts to Christ, just because we have him come into our life, he does not take over and override our free will. It's a choice that we make every single day. So if you can say, yes, I am at that place. I cannot keep living like this anymore. I cannot keep going the way I'm going. I am ready for God to make a miracle of my life. Then let's just go to the word of God and just see if we can find some sort of hope this morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 22 is where we're going to start. This is where the early church began, and we read about all these amazing and powerful things that are happening through the disciples by the Holy Spirit. It seems as if the Holy Spirit's going with them, and that's the common denominator across the board for these manifestations that we read about of God showing up in mighty way in the book of Acts. Paul's new on the scene. He's a new convert to Christianity. Nonetheless, he's on fire to preach for God. And uh, as if he's been doing it his whole life, he and his buddy Silas come into this town. And they start proclaiming the good news. They start teaching in this town. And there's a woman at the front of the town who is a fortune teller. And after a while, she's on Paul's nerves. So what does Paul do? He just casts the demon right out of her. And that's when the story goes downhill because people were making money off of her by telling fortunes. And so we pick up the story when they seize Paul and Silas and we pick it up in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. In the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Okay, that's really key. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and all at once the prison doors flew open, everyone's chains came loose, and the jailer wakes up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was going to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. So in the midst, okay, think this through. In the midst of being in prison... After you've been severely beaten, shackled to the floor, they chose to do the unthinkable, which was praise God. How does that even come up in our mind? What is, what, what we, what's he worthy to be praised for? I'm literally stuck in prison. You see, they did not allow their circumstances to get them off the goal, which was I'm going to give God glory no matter what is happening in my life. Jesus Christ is going to be glorified. And what's so interesting about this passage of Scripture is that God shows up in such a mighty way because of what two men did that every single person who had chains and heard them praying and petitioning God with, with singing, their chains were loosened and they were set free. 
It makes me think that just maybe that those of us who are not bound by chains can play a huge role into interceding for those who can't seem to help themselves. The church. If by just hearing prayers and, and singing, chains could break, why wouldn't the church be doing that? Why wouldn't we be doing that for people? And these other people, they're locked up, and they probably got themselves locked up by doing something wrong. So why would God break their chains? Because here's how this works. When God shows up and manifests himself because you've praised him so much, it affects everyone across the board. Everyone in your life will see the manifestation of God, and it will change them too. We were made to praise him. And until we can come to grips with that, we will never find peace and we will never find hope. We will continually and constantly go around trying to fill this God-shaped hole with any and everything that we can find instead of praise, even trying to find something that can numb the reality of the hole. But it doesn't go away. But when we pray, when we choose to praise him, even in the depths of our prison, will walls begin to fall. And strongholds begin to loosen. And before you know it, the Holy Spirit has done the miraculous in a way that no man, woman, or child could have ever done. God did not come down here for you to stay enslaved to addiction. He came down for you to have freedom. His amazing love says, if, it's a big O if, if you'll worship me, I will change you. I will heal you. I will set you free. I will open up doors that no man could ever do if you choose to worship me. As a worship leader for two decades, I've stood in front of people a lot singing, trying to pour my heart out to God. And I got to tell you, if you could see it from my perspective, you would probably be frustrated. There are some people that are worshiping God. They are all about this is why we're here. But for the vast majority of the church as a whole across the nation, we just are going through motions. We're just here. We're not really here to give God glory. We're not really here to praise him sometimes. And then we wonder why there's no breakthroughs in our lives. And I'm not trying to step on toes by saying that. I'm just trying to be real with you guys. Um, I'm trying to tell you that the power of the almighty God showed up when those who were in prison decided to worship him because he is worthy. So I encourage you not to walk in here and then leave and say, I got nothing out of church today. It was never about you. Church is about him every single time. It's about Jesus Christ being glorified. And when we choose to do that, when we choose to glorify Jesus, you will feel a presence that you've never felt that you could not conjure up on your own when you choose to worship him. You want deliverance in your life? You want a breakthrough in your life? You want a new life? It starts with dying to ourselves and making every single thing about him and giving him glory. You will find hope in his name and you will find freedom in his name and power in his name. So what does this mean? If we, if we worship God, will we see the manifestation of God show up in a way that it breaks chains in our lives? It sure seems to be the case in this scenario. And I've seen it in my own life. But let's take four chapters back. Let's look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, this is verse 4, and we're going to talk about Peter this time. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Now, I'm not smart, but that seems like 16 men against one. 
Seems like the odds are against him, right? Herod intended to bring him out for public trial for the Passover, after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but I want you guys to read this with me. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. One more time. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter by the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading out of the city. And it opened by itself. Why wouldn't it? There are no limitations with God. They went through it, and then they walked the length of one street. Suddenly, the angel left them. Can you all tell me what the common denominator is in these two stories? Remember, it said, about midnight, Paul and Silas started praying and singing praise. And then we come to this chapter, and it says, said the church was earnestly praying for God for him, to God for him. What was Peter doing in this scenario? Peter was asleep. The church stepped up. It tells me that we have a role to play in seeing people become free from addictions. The church coming together, lifting up requests to God, praising him to see these chains broken. And I realized that Paul and Silas had done nothing wrong, and neither had Peter. They're thrown into prison. But nonetheless, they're still shackled by chains, and they chose to do what we probably might not want to do necessarily with our flesh, and that is to give him glory no matter the circumstance. And when that happens, chains break. And walls come down. And I get it. I really do get it, guys. Hear my heart. It sounds a bit hokey. It sounds almost too generic that this could be the answer. But if we ever lose hope that God can heal, if we ever lose hope that he can redeem and restore lives, then we lose hope in God. Because those are things that he does. He is the great physician. He is the redeemer. We can throw in the towel and let addiction define us, or we can fight. And when I say fight, I mean praising him and the good and the bad. When we fall, we praise him. When we're on a cloud, we praise him. We were made to praise him. Why would we ever choose not to do so? There's no wonder so many lives are falling apart when often we can't even focus for one hour a week to come here and do what he's called us to do, and that's praise him. And I'm stepping on my toes this morning, too. Most of my sermons are to me. He created us to worship him. If we can ever get that in our heart and make that the priority, it will change our lives. I don't care all the things that we can figure out what we don't like and what we do like about church. You see, here in America, we've kind of created this culture where we're critics. We walk into a church and then we leave and we say, this is what I like, this is what I didn't like. And meanwhile, God's saying, if you want to see me, Make it about me. Come worship me. Don't get lost in any of the other junk. Get lost in me. And then you will see walls literally diminish right in front of you. And freedom will take place. And that's when we will live, truly live, the way he intended us to live. So what happens, though, when you don't see God show up and he doesn't break chains? 
What happens when we pray for healings and they don't take place? Apostle Paul said, therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast most glad, or more gladly about the weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul's saying, let's get real, okay? Let's, let's be honest and realize that in our weakness, in our brokenness, God is sufficient. Why do people not get healed? Why do certain things not happen sometimes? It's one of the great mysteries of the Bible. I don't think it has anything to do with the level of faith. I've seen great faith and people still experience great pain. So what if you are one of those who have struggled with these addictions, with these strongholds for years and you have prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed? What would I say to you then? I would say keep praying. Keep praising Keep lifting up his name because he's worthy no matter what we're going through. He is worthy. And then it's absolutely imperative that we open up these doors in our life of addiction for others to know about. There are many of you that are in this room right now that are 100% addicted to something and no one knows. How can the church, with what we seen, saw in Acts 12, how can the church earnestly go to God for you if we don't know about your junk. And we can handle your junk. That's the church, right? We're all broken. How can people that God's put in your life be there for you and fight for you if they don't know about what's going on? If prayer and praise moved the hands of God so much that shackles were broken, why would we not do that for you if you'll open up and let people know. I can tell you that a lot of people in my life, I never knew they had struggles until it spiraled so out of control that they were full-on blown and addicted to something and it wrecked their lives. And I wonder if they just would have opened up if they could have found healing sometime sooner than that. Addiction is not to be dealt with alone. The shame that comes from it will make you want to keep it hidden as a secret. But just hear, hear my heart. If you felt a tumor in your body, you could feel it. Would you not go to a doctor? Because a tumor could possibly kill you. So automatically you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Listen, addiction can kill you. It can rob you of the life that God has called you to live. It's time to open those doors. It's time to get real and find healing. And you know what? It's going to be messy and it's going to be gross and it's going to be difficult and some of your worlds are going to be rocked because of it. But pretending that everything is okay and being like truly slaved, enslaved to addiction is not really living. And God has called you to live. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to look at a guy named Naaman. He was the commander of an army of Aram, which is where Syria is at today. And they uh, oppressed Israel, this, this place did. Uh, Naaman was a leper, but then he's told by this young Jewish slave girl that the prophet of God in Israel could cure him of his disease. So 
He goes to the king of Aram and said, can I go there and see if I can find healing? He says, yes, he gives him permission. And we pick up the story when he meets Elisha, the prophet of God, or comes to the door. He says, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman was, went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come to me. Stand and call on the name of his Lord and God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away and went off in a rage. So God didn't work the way he wanted him to work. I think we've all been there before. But thank God that his servant knew he had an issue because then he came to him and he says this, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done that? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him to do and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The Jordan River's messy, it's dirty. It's got a lot of clay in it. It's not something that someone who has leprosy would want to go wade in. So he meets this prophet of God and he says, hey, go down there and dip seven times in it and you'll receive healing. And he's like, all right, any other black magic secrets you want to throw at me? Because that's a horrible idea. Why seven times? Why the Jordan River? Why not just come down here and heal me? You know, he's got this rage in him. I mean, everyone has some sort of dignity. Naaman wasn't excited about walking out, people probably watching and going and dipping in this river. The word of God said he was highly regarded, but he did so. And when he did so, when he got past his pride, when we get past our pride, we will walk neck deep in the grossest waters on this earth to find freedom if you're really at that place that you're ready to find freedom. So the question I have for every single person this morning is, what is your Jordan River? What is it that's holding you back from stepping out and saying, God, please free me from these chains? Is it pride? Is it unbelief because you've come to the river so many times and you've never seen healing? Have you lost hope? Is it shame? Is it scared of what will happen to our lives when we open this thing up? All are legitimate excuses, but I'm telling you, if you want to find healing, we have to open it up. And just maybe today's a day that you could find freedom from an addiction that could rob you of your joy in life the rest of your life. And I hope you know that if you struggle with an addiction, I don't take that lightly. I hate that for you. Our staff hates that for you. We pray for those things. And I'm not telling you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make better decisions. That is not how this works. We would be naive to think so. I'm telling you the opposite. You cannot do this on your own. You just can't. We're not strong enough. We weren't built strong enough. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to come in the powerful name of Jesus, and you need accountability. We're no competition for Satan, not on our own. We need to go through the power of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Are you enslaved to addiction? Many of you, only you know. Are you enslaved to addiction? I was walking through the sanctuary and through the week, 24-7, I keep Caleb on because I just constantly want praise music going on in the sanctuary. And I was walking through it the other day. I was walking up these steps and this song came on and I just, it, I mean, I literally stopped in my steps and I listened to it. It's a new song called Chainbreaker that just came out and I was just mesmerized. I'm like, this goes with my sermon. Let's do this with the band. We'll do it. And then I found the video of the guy singing it and I heard his story and he had struggled with addiction and how God changed his life. And I thought, he'll do a better job than I will. I want you guys to listen, watch this video. And then start to believe that God can do something miraculous in your life. If you've ever been freed from any sort of addiction in your life, I'm asking that you would stand up in this room right now. Across the room, if God has freed you from addiction, church, look around. There's still hope. God still changes lives. God still restores. He still heals. These are walking examples of what God can do in your life. So we're going to do something a little different this morning. I'll catch you guys a little bit off guard. I want every single person that's been free from addiction to come up front and just lie in the altar. Some of you are going to be scared to death. You can choose not to, but I, I want, this is an example of what we're going to see. God still restores. God still heals. God still takes the broken and makes it amazing. So in a minute, we're going to ask every single person who's struggling that needs prayer to come up. And these are your prayer words. These are the ones who are living hope that God can change your life. Before we do that, here's what I need to talk to you, the church. Anyone who's not struggling right now, anyone who's not struggling with addiction, you are going to want to check out for the next few minutes. It's natural. But this is where the church in Acts chapter 12 comes into play. We start fighting. We earnestly go to God to break those chains. So I'm asking that you would devote the next however many minutes just to pray that God would break chains in this room this morning in lives. Now, if you are addicted to something, whatever it is, open it up and let's deal with it this morning. Let's find freedom. There's no reason to keep living this way. God did not die for you to stay enslaved. He, he died for you to have freedom. It's time to take away the idea and the identity of shame realize that you are defined by a God that loves you. So cue Satan's lies. He's going to tell you no. He's going to tell you, nope, don't come up. Don't get up. Don't step out. No one knows it. I'm just going to keep it a secret. That's what he does. He's amazing. But listen to me. Naaman does not find healing until he gets up and walks into the river. So I'm asking you guys. No one up here is judging you. We're not judging you. We're here to find freedom at church. So I ask you, if you need prayer, come on up. The first one's going to be the hardest one. A couple more will come. If you need freedom, come up this morning.